Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. up and welcome to Extra Time, RNZ Sports Online Weekly Show. I'm Richard Wayne. In this edition, Brendan McCullum recommits to the Black Caps. Super Rugby reaches the semi-final stage. We preview the two local sides in action, plus the new Blues head coach, Tana Umanga, goes shopping. We're looking for locks, first five, halfback, fullback, so quality in all those areas will be good. We also investigate school sport and allegations against some schools for their win-at-all-costs attitudes, even to the detriment of the students' education and welfare. And the Black Sticks women upset World Hockey Number no. 2's Australia to edge towards next year's Rio Olympic Games. First up, the Black Caps captain Brendan McCullum has committed himself to New Zealand cricket for another year. The 33-year-old, whose international future has been the subject of much speculation recently, will lead the Black Caps in their home and away series against Australia this summer, as well as being available for the World 2020 competition in India in March. The annual contracting process will be completed next week, and the list of players being offered contracts will be announced on Wednesday. David White is the sport's chief executive. He spoke with our cricket reporter Stephen Hewson about McCullum's re-signing, among other subjects. Yeah, we're delighted. He's, he's had a tremendous time as New Zealand captain over the last 18 months, two years, and not only as a captain, but also as a player. So uh, we're, we're delighted that he's made another commitment for 12 months. How much was he thinking about whether to stay on or how much consideration did he give to retiring? I don't think he gave a lot, to be quite honest. He's, he's absolutely committed to New Zealand cricket. You know, he said that, you know, we've still got a lot to lot to achieve. It's a critical time for the team. And, uh, no, he's absolutely committed, I can assure you. Was there any chance you could have got him to, to sign on for longer? Well, we only have 12-month contracts anyway with our agreement with the Players Association. So 12 months is the ma- maximum period. But in saying that, he said that he'd like just like to take it year by year at this stage of his career. I suppose he's possibly at the point where he can pick and choose, too, as to, to what he does. Well, he's certainly high in demand around the world, definitely, but I can assure you that he's very much committed to New Zealand cricket and that's his absolute priority. But you would be at some point, I mean, for, if you get to the end of this contract and he says, right, I only want to play T20 or, or one-day cricket, that would be something that you'd consider given maybe the state of his body or where things are at for him? Yeah, I think we could address that at the time, but at this stage he's committed to playing all forms of the game. What are you wanting to see from the team over the next... 12 months. Uh, you, you look back at that England tour with some, with some disappointment, presumably? I think that um, I, I think the team, you know, there were some, some absolute positives on the tour, but I think the team were a little disappointed at the end that we didn't win the one-day series. But in saying that, it, it has been a long haul. No excuses, but I think the guys were a bit fatigued at the end, to be quite honest. Uh, we've asked a lot of them uh, over the period of time, and I think they just um, ran out a bit of a fuel, to be quite honest. Um, but it's not an excuse. I think I know that you know Mike 
Hessen and, and Brendan are certainly planning for the next uh, 12 months and uh, we're really looking forward to um, the series against Australia, both away and at home next season. Where is that series at, uh, particularly the, the home situation about sort of just calendar-wise and things and fitting things in? We're currently in um, detailed discussions with Cricket Australia and have been over the last week or so on, on a new seven-year agreement. Um, so I, I can't discuss the specific details of that at this stage, but we're very hopeful of getting agreement in the next day or two and making an announcement next week. You're happy to maybe give up a test to get a few more one-dayers? That's something that's on the, on the table at the moment. You know, what's been discussed is the, the reintroduction of Chapel Hadley. Uh, we haven't had the Chapel Hadley series uh, for five years, and uh, that's something that's on the table. And, and to reintroduce that and have that on a regular basis would be fantastic, I think, for New Zealand cricket. And the other discussion point, presumably, is uh, the pink ball. Where are things at with that? That's part of the discussion that we're having with, with Cricket Australia at the moment, and um, I can't go into any specifics at this stage, but we're hopeful of you know some announcements next week. I suppose if you're at the forefront of playing with the pink ball or agreeing to it, it maybe helps you out when it comes to getting more games against Australia or puts you in a better bargaining position? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's part of the discussion. Even to be quite honest, and you know, we like I've said, we're in detailed discussions with them. Um, I can't go into any specifics, unfortunately, but uh, we'll come out with an announcement hopefully next week on, on all the details of our seven year agreement with Cricket Australia. NZ Cricket boss David White talking to Stephen Hewson. This is Extra Time. I'm Richard Wayne. Coming up, the Black Sticks women get up over the hockey ruse, and school sports goes under the microscope. Well, the Super Rugby playoffs are upon us, and the Highlanders have reached the semi-finals for the first time in 13 years. First five, Lima Sopoang has played a large role in their success in 2015. The talented playmaker's often been overlooked as one of New Zealand's premier number 10s, but not this season. The Wellington-born pivot's been named in the All Blacks squad for the first time. Sopoanga was one of five new caps in the recently named 41-man squad for the historic test in Samoa and the Rugby Championship. And Sopoanga has been joined by his teammate, the flying Fijian Highlanders wing, Waisaki Naholo. The Highlanders play the New South Wales Waratahs in Sydney on Saturday night. And Sopoanga is under no illusions just how hard it'll be to overturn the defending champions on their home patch to reach the final. The 24-year-old could be forgiven for letting his thoughts slip to a possible World Cup berth later this year after displaying such impressive form. However, Sopoanga says the environment at the Highlanders has helped him maintain his focus ahead of this weekend's crucial match. And he says there's no chance of his head getting too big in the deep south. Oh, it's pretty easy on this team. you got Joey Wheeler and John Hardy giving you stick all week, so it's pretty easy to keep your feet on the ground um, down here in the Landers. So... Um, nothing else has changed really, just try to prepare as well as I can and, and um, work with um, you know, the coaches and what, what we want to do this week and, and get ready for a big game this week. What do you expect from the Waratahs? Uh, big monsters to come running down my channel. Um, you know, they're a massive pack and they've got uh, you know, 13 Wallabies and a pretty much a Springbok in their side so it's a big challenge and uh, we look forward to it come Saturday. It's a new position, uh, playoffs for, for, the, for the boys, and a, a team peaking at the right time? Yeah, I think so. I think um, there's a lot of motivation for the side to um, continue to press on, and I think, um, you know, obviously we'll go into this game as underdogs again, and, and we look forward to that, having that tag, and um, just trying to put our best foot forward, and we know 
there's uh, a lot of things to play for, like um, our captain leaving, Nasimane, and um, I'd love nothing more than to send him away to Edinburgh with a gold medal. What's the what the win over the Chiefs do for you as a team? I think it's just given us, um, you know, more confidence to believe in ourselves and believe in our systems. Um, all year, um, you know, we've been ridden off, and I think the strength of this group has been the belief in, you know, not only the 23 but the 39 as well, and um, that's been special. And I think we'll just continue to grow that, and hopefully, um, you know, put our best foot forward and on Saturday night. Has there been something special about the Highlanders this year that's helped you get get further? Yeah, it's just the camaraderie here and um, and the and the um, and what we call the brotherhood and and we we have fun on and off the field and I think that's a, the great thing about the Highlanders is we um, you know when it's time to be serious we be serious and when it's time to have fun um, we do that and we we got some uh, pretty funny characters in this team who help that and you know obviously guys like Joe Wheeler and Fumi and the Barracuda and things like that so it's 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 good stuff. Tony Brown's influence. Uh, on you? Yeah, um, I guess you can't really put a, a price or a number on what he's uh, done for me, and it's, it's pretty much been priceless. And um, you know, I'm just thankful for his guidance, but not only his, but all, all the coaches and all the input that they've done for not only me but the boys this season. Going to the semi-final, then, do you feel kind of less pressure or more with your All Blacks hanging? You know, you tick that <laughs> off, or you you got to wear the, wear the crown. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, for me, I'd, my teammates have um, elevated me to the next level. So I guess, um, you know, I've got to now step up and, and perform perform to the best of my ability now and, and try to help this team get a medal and, and lift the trophy. Lima Sopawanga on extra time. Meanwhile, the Hurricanes host the other Super Rugby semi for just the second time in the franchise's history this weekend. And it's the first time they've been there in nine years. The home side are confident they can overcome the Brumbies despite losing their last four encounters with the ACT side and not playing them at all yet this season. While the Hurricanes spent last weekend off the field, the Brumbies are coming off a 39-19 win against the Stormers in Cape Town in the first of the preliminary finals. The Canes are hoping a sellout home crowd will spur them on to victory and into the final, though they'll have to do so without the experience of all-black wing Corey Jane, who's been ruled out of the match with injury. Captain Conrad Smith concedes Jane's unavailability is a blow, but he's confident the Hurricanes will emerge victorious on Saturday night, despite their poor record against the Brumbies. It's obviously uh, well disappointing for him. You know, know how much he'd he'd love to play the game, and you know how how important he's been to us um, all year. So yeah, we'll, we'll obviously miss him, but uh, yeah, I think we've learnt to live with you know, injuries and individuals that have you know set out games all, all through the year. So uh, the guys obviously replacing him are, are more than capable, and, and we'll just uh, move on. Uh, them playing in South Africa and you guys having a week off is that something that you reckon you could wear them down a bit a bit faster? Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully. I mean, we always try and um, you know play play a game that, that other teams struggle to keep up with. But you know, then again, the, the way they are very good at controlling the speed of a game um, and the tempo. So you know, I, I know myself having um, you know done that trip a few times. It's but by Saturday, I mean they'll they'll, they'll be fine. Um, it won't be much effect. They're uh, you know we're pretty uh, decent athletes now, that train uh, most most of the time to prepare for these sort of events, and you know it'll be a full stadium and um, a semi-final so they'll be up for it and uh, I, I don't think there'll be a whole whole lot of an advantage to us. 
I'm sure you guys have done your homework on them as well. I mean, you haven't played them this season. Has is, is there been a lot of video sessions? Is there, yeah, what, what's been the process? Yeah, that? a bit of um, scrambling around when we realised it was them that we were, we were playing. Um, but there's a, a few of us that did pick them. We, you know, I was confident they'd. Um, you know, beat the Stormers over the year because I just I just rate them very highly as a side. I was actually surprised they you know finished sixth. You know at the start of the year, even in the first few games I, I thought they would have finished a lot higher. But um, yeah, we, we've we've done our homework on them just as we always do, and you know the coaches done a lot of work and we've come up with a plan. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Do you take confidence from the history that it's generally the top two sides that that go on to win a title? Uh, I, I suppose, but it doesn't really. Um, you don't really think about that going into the game. I, I think the more the history is, is, you know, what they've managed to beat us probably the last three or four times, uh, certainly that I've played them. So that's probably more relevant. They obviously a team that you know, they don't fear us, and um, they've got a pretty good game plan. Even though it was two years ago that we last played, uh, and they know how to sort us out. So you know, it adds to the challenge, and you know, it's, it's going to be exciting. Is there extra motivation for you personally after this game, with it potentially being your last for Hurricanes? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I suppose that, that, that does come into it, but I think you've got to be careful the way you, you play with those emotions and you know, there's a lot swirling around this team at the moment, um, what's happened in the last few weeks so uh, you know, it, it's not who deserves it or wants it, it's just who plays the best rugby and, and it's, um, that's what we're focusing on, on doing on Saturday night. Conrad Smith and his Hurricanes host the Brumbies first up in the Super Rugby semis just after half past seven then it's across to Sydney where the Waratahs welcome the Highlanders. Well, plenty of news among the Super Rugby also-rans this week, with Sir John Kerwin's replacement as coach of the Blues being named. Former All Black captain Tana Umanga is a popular and widely touted choice, but he's not promising instant success for the struggling Auckland-based franchise, which has just had its worst season ever, just three wins. They finished second last. Umanga told reporters at his unveiling that he's relieved all the speculations finally over and he's officially the Blues coach. It's been, uh, it's been interesting really, you know, try and keep it uh, quiet and you know, the things we've been gone to and people still find out so it's been a bit of a laugh actually. But uh, yeah, well, Now it's finally out, it's actually official, now it feels official for me as well so I can really get my teeth into it now. I've already had a couple of meetings prior to this, so get our season on the way and, and on the right track, and now um, I'm looking forward to some more. And are you happy that it's just you in charge, or would you have liked to work with Sir J.K.? Oh, I suppose any coach um, would say that you know, they like to be solely in charge. We had a plan to, in place about how I was going to work with Sir J.K., but it didn't come to fruition, so now I've been given the opportunity to be in charge, and I'm going to take that with two hands and do the best I can. Are you happy with Glenn Moore as your assistant? Um, again, he's got his contract. He's with us, and I, I don't know Glenn Moore well, so you know he's away until the Black Ferns get back. So until we have a chat, you know, we just need to discuss you know how it's going to work going forward. So when does work actually begin for you at the Blues? Started on Sunday, really. Yeah, had another long meeting there about recruitment and things like that. So you know. It started uh, and it'll probably be ongoing for a while. Is it a lot to take in? Are there a lot of things you want to change? Uh, no, not really. Not really. Not really. Obviously, the most important thing for us at the moment is recruitment and retention and things like that. So that's just really been my focus point. And we'll see how that goes after this. So it's been a bit of an undercover operation for a while, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Meeting in secret? And... Oh, a little bit. A little bit. But 
I suppose it's just what needs to happen to make sure that we do what's right you know, for those that are involved. It's great it's been announced now and you know, it's official. I can wear my blues gear and be proud of that, as I am. And uh, you know, We'll just keep working forward from here. Have you had you convince yourself that you are a blues man? No, not at all. It is modern day. It's just like anyone working. This is a job for me. I've lived in Auckland now for five years. My family's roots are here. I haven't lived in Wellington for a long time. You know, when I left there, that is my hometown, and, and that'll always be my hometown, so I live a place in my heart. But as long as my family are happy and wherever they settled, that's where I call home. Apart from the traffic, you know, everything else runs well. But you know, everyone's got that issue. Do you have a date for the full team when it will be announced? Uh, sorry, I don't. It's usually November. Is yeah. It? Start of November when all squads are announced. So you still have time anyway to get yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've still got time. We've, we've got 20 names signed. We usually have a squad of 32, I think it is. So that's 12. And the item couple throw up some players that no one's even thought about and some young guys coming through. Being part of the under-20s, showcased a lot of talent there. So I think we're in a good place. I don't think we're as bad as people think. Will you be thinking to get some of the players that left in the last couple of years back to the franchise? Uh, well, I'm sure we wouldn't say no. You know, we'd look at it. It just depends if they're available. You know, they're obviously left for one reason or another. Um, but no, we'd definitely look at that. Do you have a short list for your assistants? Uh, have, like, have you made already some phone calls? No, no. You know, I think you know, that's something that we've got to make sure that we do right in the process, how that's done. Uh, it's just a bit of learning. You know, obviously, I've got ideas, but in terms of phone calls, don't want to get anyone's hopes up, and they get, you know, <laughs> so actually, I don't have that power to do that. So, just making sure we get that process done right. But that one would harp back to what Jake, the JK issue too much, but would that be a director of rugby perhaps for him and you'd be the head coach? Was that just the sort of thinking? Yeah, yeah, that's what it came down to. And um, you know, I was happy with the process and obviously the job descriptions that we would come up with. Like everyone else, I, I didn't know until um, I was informed late the night before, uh, no, the, the morning of, I think, that he was going to resign. And that put a bit of a spanner in the works because we had to adjust everything again, you know, start from really square one because it wasn't what we'd discussed with uh, NZAU and with the Blues. So, you know, that's why the process took a little bit longer. You know, it's what I wanted, so I'm happy. What's the top of your shopping list, if you could, for next year? Is it a quality first five? Yeah, it's a hard one. You know, we're looking for locks, first fives, I think halfback, fullback. So quality in all those areas would be good. It's going to be hard to find. But, you know, again, I'm pretty happy with you know, the current squad we've got. It's up to us, to and myself and my coaching staff, to develop the best players uh, and the best we can, and then put that, make sure that gels together, so they put a you know a very good combined effort out there as a team. Can you be a winning franchise in year one, or is it a long-term plan? Um, Look, we'll do the best we can. We want to have success. If we're in Super Rugby, then we're in with a chance. That's what we've got to think. But I don't like to lose, so I'm going to do my best to make sure that we get more wins. If that gets us through to where we need to be to challenge for the top, then I'll be happy with that. You're quite a winning coach, though, aren't you, in terms of your career so far? Oh, I don't do too bad. You know, that's all a process thing for me. You look after the little um, things, the big things usually happen. Sound like a coach now, eh? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, just doing the little things well. I'm a big believer in that. And then, you know, let the big things look after themselves. The new Blues head coach, Tana Umanga. Still to come in extra time, we look at school sport and the sometimes unrealistic expectations that can spoil the love for sport among students. The New Zealand women's hockey team are well placed to qualify for next year's Olympics. 
They're currently unbeaten in their World League semi-final pool in Belgium after upsetting world number two's Australia in their latest game. In fact, they've put 19 unanswered goals past their opponents in their three games so far. The top three teams from the 10-team tournament qualify directly for Rio. Wins against Australia don't come too often for the Black Sticks, and for their defender Liz Thompson, it was just her second. Thompson managed to achieve the feat in her debut game back in 2013, which was the last time they won. And she told our reporter Barry Guy that, well, it took a long time for them to get back on the board against the Aussies. I thought we applied really good pressure to the um, Aussie team, and obviously we had quite a few opportunities, but it was good to finally get not only one goal, but to get that second one in the last quarter too, to really, you know, put it in the bank and make sure we had that safety of the extra goal in there so we can allow them back in. So we're really happy um, to come away with the score as well. There seemed to be a confidence in your play, so there was no nerves or being overawed by taking on a powerhouse like Australia? You know, we've played Aussie quite a few times recently, so I think we know with their team we know um, pretty well now, and obviously we've done our research too, so I think we really had the right game plan, and we knew what we needed to go out there and do, and... I think we really stuck to it and I think that was the difference that maybe has changed in previous games we've played because we've started low and it's kind of fallen away but we really kept at it so it was a really good team effort. What was the game plan because you seemed to close them down well? Yeah obviously we wanted to put them under a lot of pressure and you know we play a really fast attacking style of hockey and I think so do they and it was just to make sure that we defended well and to make sure that we didn't allow them to get... um, any of their PCs away because that's one of their strengths and how they get a lot of their goals. So I think we did really well to put them under pressure too. So, yeah. Yeah, you're part of the defence. You know, there were lots of... It was very solid back there, calm, and um, as I say, you know, you managed to grab the ball off them, you know, numerous times. Yeah. No, I think we really managed, you know, their attack today well, and I think all our defence you know, across the field from the strikers to the defenders put them under so much pressure and we actually got a lot of turnover before they got to the circle, you know, and we didn't allow them to even get that far and just to make sure we were shutting, you know, down all their attacking options and stuff, I guess, the benefit of us doing all our research is we kind of knew what to expect with that. Uh, Previously, Mark Hager has sometimes said that, um, you know, some players didn't stand up in the big occasion and uh, they were left a Mm -hmm. little bit wanting at times, you know, when it comes to big tournament play. There were no signs of that today. Is that something that perhaps you develop or what's the reason? Um, I think obviously every game is kind of like a big learning step for everyone and I think we've played a lot of crunch games against Aussie recently and, you know, big games as well and I think... Um, we've kind of learned how to stick at it and to make sure we keep compo- uh, composed because in the past, um, the third and fourth quarter have kind of been a weakness of ours. And I think just to keep that at bay and we've, um, and to keep fighting at it kind of thing. And I think the way we manage them and, you know, keep breaking down their play and stopping their roll-ons and stuff like that, um, really allowed us to make sure they didn't get in it and to make sure that, um, you know, everyone in every layer was stepping up and doing their job. So I guess it meant that um, we didn't allow that to happen. Now, you, you can't let it slip, obviously. You've you got to play Belgium in your last pool match, and mm-hmm. obviously you want to finish top of the group. Yeah, so we've still got that game to focus on. I mean, if we wanted to, to put ourselves in a good position heading into the quarters in the semi, we really need to make sure we um, keep playing the way we're playing and play well and get the win. So I guess it's game by game. You know, so we really want to make sure that 
we put ourselves in the best possible position moving forward. So it's going to be um, a big game for us here. And the confidence that you've taken from today's game, obviously, you know, can only benefit you? Yeah, exactly. So hopefully we can keep moving forward and build on the positives from today. And there's still, no matter what bits and pieces, we're going to need to fix up from our game. So we'll look at what we need to do and adapt to playing Belgium and hopefully um, go through with a win for that game. Thinking at all about the Olympics? Um, not yet. I mean, it's a step-by-step process, and I think, first of all, we've got to qualify, and at the moment, that's our focus. And once we do that, and, um, you know, when it gets close to the time, we'll be thinking about it, but, you know, it's always in the back of your mind. Black Sticks defender Liz Thompson talking to Barry Guy. Finally, for this edition of Extra Time, we move on to the topic of school sport. Principals groups say schools are going too far to attract the best athletes and they're pushing them too hard once they've got them. They say the already fierce competition in secondary school sport is intensifying with schools importing star players from overseas and scouting for talent at intermediate schools. Radio New Zealand's education correspondent John Gerritsen reports. The executive director of the Secondary School Sports Council, Gary Carnahan, says schools are pushing the limits as sport becomes ever more important to them. The stakes in school sport are getting higher and higher and we are seeing some increasing practices that, that many principals are unhappy with, with bringing in non-domestic international students for very short-term periods just to, to play sport and also kids being uh, sought out uh, specifically for sporting purposes to transfer schools. Gary Carnahan says the council has rules aimed at ensuring schools are fair, but it's hard to prove breaches. The rules are there, as I say, for a number of reasons. One is to try and maintain a level playing field as, as much as possible, but still allowing movement for kids who do move and parents who do make selections to a certain level. And In rugby, for example, you're allowed six players who were new to your school in the last two years in the, in the 22. And some schools, unfortunately, see that as a poaching target. The president of the Secondary Principals Association, Sandy Pasley, says the two-year rule has prompted some schools to recruit students as young as possible from other schools' catchment areas. She says some are even sending scouts to the Association of Intermediate and Middle Schools annual sports event, something the association has confirmed to Radio New Zealand. I've heard principals say they're concerned about even students as young as year seven and eight in the Ames games when you've got scouts on the lookout for students for high school. So those sort of things really I don't think are in the best interests of students and they're certainly not in the best interests of sport in all schools. The president of the PPTA's Principals Council, Alan Vester, says he worries schools are making some teenagers spend too much time on sport. The boys in many of these schools and girls would be operating almost at the professional level. They've got nutritionists and they're running fitness coaches and they've got you know people working on their attitude. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty much at a professional level, so the students are really getting pressure cooked. And I think the concern is that it's not always just for the best of the students, it's actually for what's good for the school. That fear is shared by University of Otago sport and exercise professor Ken Hodge. He says the behaviour of some schools verges on being exploitative. A very small percentage of those young men and women will actually make it to the elite level or get or have a living out of sport. So um, the phrase I'd use is the ones that don't make it can end up being collateral damage. And if they've sacrificed their schooling and they're only focused on sport, then they're left basically with nothing. Ken Hodge says there's little evidence that early specialisation leads to sporting success in later years and he's worked with teen athletes who struggle with the training and pressure they're subjected to. John Gerritsen reporting there.
Well, the New Zealand Rugby Players Association has become so concerned about the increasing pressures on players due to the televising of college first 15 games on Sky and young players being increasingly targeted by talent scouts that it set up a program to aid young players and their families. Rugby Players Association Chief Executive Rob Nickel spoke with Nine to Noon's Catherine Ryan. Rugby, of course, very much in the spotlight. There's long been a concern about college-level team poaching and the um, extent of the competition, particularly in Auckland. Again, would you say things are getting even more, if not worse, getting more pressurised? Look, I mean, we, we are concerned, not just for rugby, but we, um, out of our office, we work across a number of sports and um, there's a lot of the areas we are concerned. The concept of early specialisation, where, where kids are giving up other sports that they enjoy, to specialise in a particular sport and effectively put all their eggs in one basket only to find out four to five years later that actually there's not much at the end of the road for them and, and as a result they've compromised another area and the, and the biggest area we are frankly concerned about is education. At what point, and, and we're, we've been becoming increasingly concerned that, that education was taking, taking a second fiddle to the whole picture. You know, we understand where sports might be coming from. I, I actually, you know, the concepts of academies and, and schools wanting to do well, we, we get all that. But somewhere along the line, I think the parents have got to step up. I think the teachers have got to step up and say, there's enough's enough. A sport has its role, but fundamentally, you know, kids at that age between 10 and 17, it's about education. We're just worried it's sort of, it's losing its focus. I know you guys are very worried about your professional players and keeping up their education and their training yeah. for life after rugby. That's a huge issue for rugby, and here we are doing it at primary school, for goodness sake. Yeah, look, I mean, rugby itself is a sport, to be perfectly honest, up until that 15, 16 years of age, it's just all about technique. Um, you know, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna build a, a, a kid's fitness base at 12 or 14 years of age. You can, it's, it's about technique and skill development, and, and you don't need to get that just from a rugby. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, evidence, both you know, stories of, of successful players, but also studies that have been done overseas. And the more that you can spread your skill base across different sports at that age, the better. You know, 16, 17, 18 years of age, once you've sort of matured and post puberty, etc. And you start to develop a real passion, if it happens to be for rugby or it happens to be for football or uh, basketball or whatever sport it might be, cricket, then that's when you can start to specialise a little bit more and, and get more in depth. And if you really do enjoy it, then there might be the chance that you could be successful. But, you know, we, we see a lot of situations in professional sport in New Zealand at that 18, 19, 20 years of age group where the fundamental techniques, uh, the fundamental skills are not there. Uh, they haven't been underpinned in the athletes or the person's development. And as a result, they start to fall short and, uh, and don't come through the other side. When, when yeah. we look at what's happening in some of the schools, really you've got to wonder in many cases if these academies, on the, the number that they have, have any purpose, to be quite honest, with, with many players who simply aren't at an elite level or needing to be at an elite level at the age they are. Fundamentally, uh, most environments are, in, in the way in which they act towards the people that are part of that environment, is determined by the people that are in there. And if you take a swimming program, for example, and there are a lot throughout New Zealand, and you put um, a program together, and the program is based on the number of kids that come and pay to be part of that program, um, the, the output of that is that there's money available to pay the people that are coaching and driving the program. Now, you know, if you've got some passionate parents that, that want their kid to do really, really well at swimming at 13 or 14 years of age, um, they put pressure on the coaches and, and that program to deliver results. And frankly, the shortest cut to delivering results is to, to train them into the ground.
um, you know, at, at 12, 13, 14 years of age, if you want to win national titles in swimming, um, you can have some relatively okay technique, but if you train them, you know, six, seven, eight sessions a week for an hour and a half each session, you're probably going to do pretty well. But whether those kids are still swimming at 16 or 17 years of age is a completely different story, and more often than not, they're not. And if you look at rugby, it's a, it's a very similar kind of model. If you've got a rugby director at, at a school and his responsibility is to win first 15 competitions, then you're putting them in a situation where their behaviours start to think, OK, what have I got to do to bring the talent in that is going to win me a first 15 competition? Not necessarily the, the talent that's going to be the best 22-, 23-year-old rugby player in New Zealand or in the world or, or is able going to pave a, a successful professional rugby career. What's what does the talent look like that's got, that I can bring into the school that can win me a first 15 competition? And then you're talking about the maturity rates of kids, where they're at strength-wise. Um, the technique stuff can kind of slightly disappear because, frankly, at that kind of age, you can get away with stuff. If you're big and fast and strong enough, you don't necessarily have to have the underpinning techniques and, um, and skill base that would be required later on in professional rugby. And Alongside of all those kind of pressures, and this is probably where our biggest concern is, somewhere along the line, the teachers, potentially, or the school and the parents who are massive influences here, kind of lose sight of the fact that this is a kid who should be enjoying themselves, experimenting lots of sports, but most importantly, focusing on their education. That's where we've come from. It used to be that kids with talent, whether it was music or sport, would get an opportunity for a scholarship, for example, but that scholarship was based around education. And our concern now is that that, that, that scholarship opportunity is actually more about we want you for our first 15, and are they actually, if they really looked at themselves in the mirror, are they actually putting the, the equal or more emphasis on the kids' education, which is where we think it should be. You've just basically described the professionalising of first 15 rugby, and perhaps particularly in Auckland, and, and, and we know that that was yep. becoming a problem because we know how much poaching was going on between the schools, and that was becoming a real issue you know, two, three, four years ago, maybe longer. What about this introduction now of the televising of the first 15 games? Also, Facebook and social media are in there as well, of course, uh, yep. really focusing on that. Is that another layer of pressure? Again, are we taking 16, 17 year old, 18 year old guys who are still at school and turning this into what used to be first class rugby in the way old days, you know and, yeah. and, and franchise rugby, is that what's happening? I, I don't think anyone really quite understands what happening, is happening at the moment and, and we've, um, we're doing two or three things in this area, one is one is we're looking and we're observing and you know when I see a website that's got an excess of 10,000 followers and, and they're all about ranking the top 200 secondary school rugby players in New Zealand I'm thinking wow, I don't know if that's is that kind of right? <laughs> it just doesn't feel, you know, I'd, a kid goes out and they're playing for the love of it and they're playing first 15 rugby and they make a mistake and it's on a highlights reel. And, you know, with our professional guys, they get to turn up to training on Monday morning in a supportive environment with 45, 50 other people who are going to pat them on the back and, and help them sort it out. You know, these kids are going back to a school assembly where they, get, they can get riddled for making a mistake on Saturday that was on a highlights clip published on a Facebook site, you know, and, that gives us some real concerns. The, the flip side of the equation is um, that that sport, whether it's rugby or football, can be a wonderful opportunity and some of the experiences you get as a part of being something in those kind of environments is really good. So our, our, probably our summary of that is we think we need to understand more about what's going on and, and we're starting to, to pull some people together with the idea of going to, to the powers that be and actually saying, you know, Let's get someone in to actually look at this situation because we think there's some good things in there, but we are also becoming increasingly concerned at what we're seeing as well, what we believe are, are some, ba- some bad influences, some bad behaviours, and 
as a result, we're going to have um, kids being shortchanged in, in our view around, around what they should be getting at that age, which is a, a really solid education and the opportunity to develop in a sport if they're really passionate about it that they can then kick on into after school. Rob Nicholl of the Rugby Players Association speaking with our Catherine Ryan. And that's Extra Time. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Richard Wayne. We'll be back next week right here with another wrap of the week's sports action and interviews. Ka kite anō. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.